Well, over the decades I've been at WTJU, I've had the good fortune to have a lot of great musicians in, including some phenomenal banjo players. But one that's been on my bucket list was Alan Mundy. And in fact, Alan will be stopping by WTJU very soon. But before that, he's got a brand new album out on Patuxin titled Excelsior. And if technology is on my side, Alan's out there. I'm hey, right Alan. here. I'm right here. Hi, how are you doing, Peter? Thrilled to meet you. And Alan, for those who don't recognize the name, it goes back to Oklahoma. And as someone who knows a lot of musicians who have come out of Oklahoma, I can count banjo players on one hand. So I'm curious how you first started here in banjo when you're coming from a state not necessarily known for that sure sure uh how i got involved in wanting to play music i was a kid there in oklahoma and my oldest brother mike uh, came home from the navy and he brought a guitar and a record on how to play it and the record was called the uh, folk singers guitar guide by pete seeger and uh I had been, uh, I should say, really, my first instrument was kind of the accordion because uh, my younger sister took lessons. And this was back in the day when the teacher would come to the house. And so she'd come over and give my sister a 30 minute lesson. And when she finished, I she would show me what she learned. And I would strap on the accordion and play some, you know, and I got to where I could you know, read the notes and know where they were on the accordion. And then my brother showed up with the guitar and that sounded way, way more interesting to me than the accordion did at that time. And so I started playing on the guitar that he left behind when he went off to college after the Navy. And like I said, it was by Pete Seeger. And so I thought, well, Pete Seeger's a guitar player. I'd go out and buy a record, Pete Seeger record and bought one and lo and behold he was a banjo player also i should say and sort of was attracted to that and saved up my money and bought me a banjo and uh, a friend of mine noticed that uh, i was interested in the banjo and for christmas one year he gave me flat and scruggs foggy mountain banjo and that was sort of that as for many many people i think uh, that album captured a lot of uh, imagination, people's imaginations out there. And buried in the grooves somewhere of that record, it said, you know, you could do this. <laughs> it may sound, uh, which it did, like the uh, most beautiful music I'd ever heard. And I could not imagine how anybody played like that, but somewhere in me and in those grooves, it said, you know, you can do this. So I got interested and just kept following that path and uh, searched out players and watched for them. And I know Oklahoma, as you say, is not in the bluegrass belt, so to speak. Uh, I would, there are some good players there and I met as many of them as I could. and and uh, eventually found some really, really fine players that got me going in the right direction. So uh, it can be done from anywhere. Well, I guess I do need to ask, 
Do you still have an accordion somewhere around your house? I do not. I do not. I uh, accordion. As soon as I played, started playing the guitar, and my sister quit taking lessons, it was gone. I'm sorry. It's a wonderful instrument for sure, and I've seen fabulous, fabulous players. And there is one on my recording here. Indeed, one of my favorite young accordion players, Josh Baca of Los Tex Maniacs. Uh, he's quite something, isn't he? He is, and we're going to get to that track a little later in this track by track. But I'm reminded of your story with the comic and actor and banjo player, Steve Martin. I remember him saying that he used to listen to the record so much that his mom kicked him out of the house. So he would sit in the, in the sweltering heat in his car and slow the vinyl down so he could pick things up. But the first banjo player who he actually ever heard, he was walking through the woods once and he heard a banjo going off and it was Taj Mahal at a oh festival. My, my, yeah. Huh? And well, that's I quite something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I certainly spent, I wouldn't listen to records in the car, but I would go sit in the car in the garage and, you know, cause, uh, you can wear people out, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, not being in, not be invited for dinner. So, uh, I didn't want to miss that. So I'd go sit in the car and play for sure. I know that experience. Well, I mentioned Steve Martin for two reasons. One is that memory, but also you back in 2021 won the Steve Martin Banjo Prize. And I think that award allowed you to actually record this album. Right, right. Certainly there was a, a monetary award that went with it and uh, it allowed me to uh, do more than what I might have done, been able to do otherwise. And uh, if you've got the recording there, you'll notice, I think there are 21 or 22 different musicians on the recording with me. So it helped me line all those players up and and uh, help me put it all together and spend time on it, which I think is many musicians, if they had one thing they could would like to do is when they record is spend more time, uh, you know, getting it just so, so it allowed me to take some extra time to do things. So I very, very appreciative of that uh, recognition and the uh, award that came with it. I was chatting with Tony Trishka back in 2021, just after the announcement. And he mentioned that he was with Don Vappy when Don opened his letter and Don had your letter and check. So, <laughs> you know, that was kind of a, a thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they called me and said, uh, you know, uh, we've sent you this award. Did you ever get it? And I said, no, I don't know anything about that. And apparently it went to Mr. Vappy instead of to me. So, uh, <laughs> Well, we are going to be going, as I said, through this new album, Excelsior, track by track, and just want to let folks know that you can pick this up over at the Patuxent website, and we've got a link up at WTJU, but if you type in Patuxent Music, P-A-T-U-X-E-N-T -E Music, it will come right up and you can find Alan's album. But we're going to start, as we always do, with the first track and Longfellow's Excelsior Hornpipe. Tell us about this one. Well, it's a tune I wrote 
uh, and I should mention there are 15 tracks on here and 13 of them are original with me and two by uh, a good friend named Elliot Rogers. Uh, so I wrote this. It's a sort of a, if you're into banjo playing, it's a melodic style banjo tune, which is a style of playing where you access scales rather than through roll patterns necessarily. So it's more, I'll use the word melodious possibly, and many people describe it as sort of a fiddle tune style. So it's a fiddle tune sounding thing in the key of F and uh, I like it. And uh, it's inspired somewhat by the title, which when I was a kid, I went to a Catholic school and I'm going to say that nuns encouraged us in their own way to memorize some poetry. And one of them we was available to us was a Longfellow's Excelsior was the name of the poem. And it's about a gentleman who's trying to make his way up the mountain and he's encounters storms and blizzards and whatnot. And with each encounter of some uh, something he needs to overcome, he says Excelsior, which is Latin for higher up the mountain or higher, to reach higher. So I like that, you know, about this and the whole project. Uh, so I, I checked YouTube and there's already another tune called Excelsior Hornpipe. So I've tacked on Longfellow's name to mine to differentiate it from the other one. So it's called Longfellow's Excelsior Hornpipe. And uh, one other thing on this CD, and it'll be evident as we listen through it, is I didn't use a guitar on many, many of the cuts, but I loaded up on mandolin players because I'm real, real fond of the mandolin and the sound of the banjo and the mandolin. And this first cut actually starts Rather than the banjo, it starts with the mandolin playing the tune. So, uh, uh, and then you have a mandolin rhythm. And so I think there's as many as three mandolins and a bass, and then the banjo on this. So the sound of this music is a bit different because it's guitar absent on many of them. And on this track, I think you've got, is it Kim Warner from Australia playing with you? That's, that's absolutely right. Kim is a really great player, uh, lives in Austin, Texas now, where I used to live down in a place called Wimberley, uh, south of Austin, and knew Kim. And uh, Billy Bright is the other mandolin player, and he plays on many uh, several of these and produced the record. Uh, I should mention his name. And uh, they play on this, and it's a real – it was – you know, many people – program have different systems for programming a CD, you know, one through the last. And mine was not necessarily from my favorites to my least favorite, but it's uh, the one that struck me in my mind most representative of what the CD was about and my music making. I put it the first, so that's what Excelsior Hornpipe is.
the first track on Alan Mundy's new album, Excelsior, out now on Patuxent. And that was Longfellow's Excelsior Hornpipe. And we've got Alan with us as we go track by track. And Alan, you mentioned that you got some help from the nuns growing up. I'm guessing <sighs> you must not have had your your knuckles wrapped too hard. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to play banjo that much. <laughs> uh, it's right. It's right. No, they their aim was somewhat lower than <laughs> ah, okay <laughs> uh the knuckles although um you know that scene from the blues brothers is yeah. uh mine wasn't nearly as violent but it's it's uh seems familiar <laughs> well we're coming up to lloyd's of lubbock and i'm guessing lloyd mains has something to do with the ti with the title well uh I wrote the tune again, and uh, but it sounded, uh, in my mind, somewhat like a steel guitar-ish kind of tune. And I know Lloyd and uh, have been looking for a way to include him on a recording. And I thought, well, I'll just do this and dedicate it to him and steel guitar players all over the world. I love that instrument for sure. And so I wrote this tune. It's a bit different for banjo playing in a way it's uh can i speak to the banjo players out there please uh, uh it's in uh e the key of e but there's no capo uh so the fifth string is capoed to b and then you, you just play the thing and uh it gives it a kind of a different sensibility about it i think and uh i asked lloyd to play on it and he I'm really pleased he did a great, great job and and tried to represent it in some way on the steel guitar rather than just solo. He drew his inspiration from the actual tune, so I'm real thrilled about that. And uh, also on it is, again, the mandolin is Billy Bright, a really wonderful mandolin player in the Austin area. And... Uh, used to be in a group called wood and wire if oh yeah if people might remember that group they were made quite a splash for the time they were together but uh billy adds a great great deal to it and again this does not have a guitar other than the steel guitar it has bass mandolin banjo and steel guitar so it's, it's kind of a sparse sound to a certain extent and you speak of bass, want to mention Dom Fisher seems to pop up throughout the album. Yeah, yeah. He's on many, many of the cuts. I have a, two or three different bass players I was able to wrangle into doing this. But Dom is on many of them. And Dom also is an Austin-based uh, musician that also was in Wood and Wire and is very heavy part of the uh, Austin acoustic scene uh down there and a really really fine bass player and a, makes great sounds on that instrument so he's involved in this and then finally on percussion we've got pat minsky yeah pat is uh also the engineer of many of the cuts on the record well he mixed them all he was the mixed down engineer on all of them and recorded was the recording engineer on several of them and has a studio in uh, uh, Dripping Springs, which is yet another town around Austin. 
And he was very, very instrumental in making this record sound as good as it does, I think. And uh, But he's also a percussionist, and I took advantage of that. And he added the percussion on this. Sure did.
The second track on Alan Mundy's new album, Excelsior, out now on Patuxent, and that was Lloyd's of Lubbock. And we've got Alan Mundy with us as we go track by track through this great new album. And Alan, you spoke earlier to the banjo players, and so I've got two questions for you. First being, how many banjos did you play on for this album? Uh, I only uh, used two. The main one I used is I've been a, uh, and it's a good story, uh, uh, but playing Stelling banjos since the mid-70s, since they came out. And when I moved to Nashville in 1969 to uh, work with Jimmy Martin, almost the first person I met was Jeff Stelling. And Jeff was in the Navy at that time going to Vanderbilt and I would hang out with Jeff. We became very, very good buddies and are still good friends to this very day. And uh, later on when he got out of the Navy and began building banjos and making banjos, uh, I got one, I'll say in 75 and have been playing uh, instruments built by Jeff ever since then. So the main instrument I used, he's got a model called the Crusader Stelling Crusader, and I played it on almost all of them, but but uh, three, and I use the Stelling Staghorn, which is yet another instrument I have. So those are the instruments I used on this recording. Well, my follow-up to that is I asked Tony Trishka two years ago how many he had in terms of banjos, and he said, well, right now it's at 17 and holding. Oh, how many man. banjos do you keep at your place? Oh, I think I have uh three stellings and sort of a gibson copy ish uh and that's about it you know okay uh, i've got nine and i don't even play (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've never you know uh i get one that i can play and sounds good to me and i sort of uh, am satisfied absolutely you sound more like a fiddle player in that respect (laughs) uh it kind of is isn't it i think that's true about fiddle players they tend to have one they particularly like and they just stick with it as close to forever as they can. Well, you mentioned Jeff Stelling. I should point out that he's right here down the road from me at Herds Mountain where Stelling banjos have been made for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. he moved, originally started in San Diego uh, because that's where he was when he got out of the Navy. And then at some point, maybe in the early 80s, uh, he decided he needed to be on the East Coast, so he moved back to our Virginia, as you say, uh, and has been here for many, many years and just recently retired. Yes, indeed. Well, hey, you mentioned Jimmy Martin, and you spent a couple of years with Jimmy. What was the biggest thing in those two years, a banjo plan, that you got out of it? Well, you know, uh, for the people that know Jimmy Martin and maybe have seen him, he's kind of a prickly character and uh, not always reliable in some ways. But when he talked to me about music and the making of music, it was always really, really particular and highly professional. And uh, that's what he wanted out of his musicians was a very, very high level of professionalism in the performance of his music. And he had really 
specific ideas about how, as a banjo player, how you went about doing that. And I would listen very closely as I've heard interviews with other of his uh, banjo players. And they all have basically the same story is that he was uh, highly instructive and wanted it and demand, actually demanded it uh, a certain way of playing. And uh, so I tried to follow in those uh, instructions and in the footsteps of the players that had come before me and sort of helped create the Jimmy Martin sound, especially in terms of banjo. And uh, so it's just sort of this professional approach in pre presenting the music. And so I really appreciated it, and I uh, follow that a lot of his precepts to this very day. Well, there was a great banjo player out of Central Virginia by the name of Alvin Breeden. I don't know if you ever ran into Alvin or not. I know of him. I sure do. And uh, he was offered a job by Jimmy as well as by by Bill Monroe. And he said, oh, you know what? I've got my own drummer and I'm going to just go there. I don't think I really want to get involved in all that. Yep, there's absolutely that. But I'm going to say this, and it's uh, fine for that, but... Uh, I went to work for Jimmy in 1969, and I was interested in being in bluegrass music as a banjo player. And right at that moment, uh, it wasn't evident to me, and I was pretty naive about it all, being from Oklahoma. But at that moment, uh, the idea of forming your own band or getting with other musicians that will form a band was not as parent to me as it might be today. So when I looked around and you want to be in the bluegrass music industry, the people that hired banjo players were Bill Monroe, Jim and Jesse, uh, the Osborne brothers didn't, uh, Earl Flatten's Drugs didn't, the Stanley brothers didn't, you know, so on a professional level, there were very few places you could go to be hired and Jimmy Martin was one of them. So I sort of uh, flowed to that sensibility about it. And if you're going to work for somebody, you have to do what they want. And at that time, I was didn't think of myself as a great stylist or, you know, had anything special going on. So I was willing to learn and be a part of uh, a sound that's already established. So it was good for me to be uh, taken in and uh, sort of instructed on, you know, just how to be better, you know, and what he thought, what that sort of sense of professionalism uh, might be. So that was, it was fine with me. And I understand people not wanting to do it. I can remember people asking me about playing with Jimmy and that said, you had to play the same thing every time, which is, True, he wanted it a certain way uh, and wanted it that way pretty close every time. And they would say, well, I just couldn't do that. And for me, uh, I could, you know, just play around as much as anybody, I suppose. But I wanted to know what it was to be professional, you know. Well, and Jim, Jimmy would describe, we would be at festivals and we would sit there, or I would more, more than he did, but he would come by and I'd be listening to a band. And he would say 
there are four guys up there playing the best they can. And what he meant, he didn't mean it in a uh, sort of a derogatory way. He just meant that it wasn't organized. You know, the guitar player was doing the licks he wanted to do, and the banjo player was doing the licks he wanted to do, and they were doing the best they could at that, where Jimmy had a program, you know, a design to how you did it, for him anyway, and that's who I was working for, and uh, it made sense, and I wanted to do it, and J.D. Crow had done it, and Bill Emerson had done it, and Paul Kraft had done it, and Chris Warner had done it, you know, and I don't think it uh, harmed any of those players. Uh, no, banjo gave playing. them all a great foundation, and I'm reminded I was chatting with Daryl Anger and Mike Marshall, you know, with their start with Grisman, and obviously Grisman let them really spread their wings. But after a few years, he said, you know, you guys have got the good foundation, but I think it's time for the two of you to go off and find your own voices. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's what everybody does eventually. I mean, even Jimmy Martin did it. You know, he was with Bill Monroe, but left, Latin Scruggs left, yeah. uh, Mac Wiseman left, you know, uh, Reno and Smiley had their own sound, the Stanley Brothers, Jim and Jesse, the Osbournes, on down the line. You know, uh, they were all influenced by Bill Monroe and Flatt and Scrub. You know, they were all had their influences, but eventually you want to do your own thing. But you sort of meld together the concepts you learned just, uh, you know, in the presentation of the music, ne not necessarily the notes, uh, although they were important too, but, you know, so you could play different notes, but with the same sensibility of, a presentational professional aspect to it so uh it was it was a good time for me it sure was and i liked it and i liked it jimmy he was difficult in many ways but in the end he liked me and uh, uh i left on good terms and uh so it was all good it was all really good for me well i should mentioned that alan and i will be talking again very soon along with bill evans because alan and bill are out there touring together so i think i'm going to save more of this conversation for that conversation coming up and right. we can get back to our track by track because i could go on for hours listening to you talk about this but i i know that we're going to be having future conversations and I really want to be able to get as much out of this track by track with you. So sure, I'm sorry. move on to Blue Hole Stroll. All Tell right. us about this one. Well, I'm from, uh, lived in Wimberley, Texas for many years with my wife. And there is a regional park there that has a walking trail and it's called Blue Hole. And it's on a, a, a Cypress Creek and has a blue, blue hole. They call it a swimming hole there and it's the name of the park and so this is sort of a meandering uh slower piece and uh so i called it blue hole stroll and i'm a big uh chet atkins fan and not that this tune is i play chet atkins style on the banjo or anything but once again speaking of what we were talking about just this level of musicianship and presentation that Chet Atkins had on his records and with the, the groups he played with. Uh, one of his albums, 
or group of albums were with Homer and Jethro, and they were called the Nashville String Band. And more than hot picking or anything like that, they were just really well played, beautiful, in some cases, luscious sounding music. And so this was uh, the inspiration for this tune and the arrangement of it and uh, whatnot. So, and this tune has a fiddle on it. Who's a great, great uh, fiddle player named Dennis Ludiker. Mm-hmm. And Dennis is from Idaho and uh, from a great fiddling family. He's got a sister that plays in uh, a well-known bluegrass group. And uh, his parents played and he plays with Asleep at the Wheel and just a fine, fine, and had a group called Milk Drive, but just a fine, fine fiddle player. So he's on here. And then Noah Jeffries is the mandolin player. He and Dennis and Noah were in this Milk Drive together. Another great fiddle player that plays mandolin also. And my wife, uh, Kitty Ledbetter, played bass on this. And then a friend of ours down there in uh, Springfield, Missouri, which is where I live now, named Bo Brown. Uh, played the rhythm guitar. So uh, it's a finely uh, arranged piece that I really, really enjoy playing.
the third track on Excelsior, the new album from Alan Mundy, out now on Patuxent. You can find that over at Patuxent's website. And I want to encourage you also to find that online over at Alan's own website. And that Alan, that website rather, is Alan, excuse me, mundymusic.com. That's M U N D E music. Com. And we're going track by track through this great new album, coming up to Miss Kitty's Hornpipe. And, well, you know, you were talking about your wife just a moment ago. So yes. I can only hesitate to guess that this might be named after your wife. Yes, yes, it definitely is. You know, and uh, just uh, we met many many years ago she's from springfield missouri and we would as a group country gazette would travel through there and played a, a really wonderful venue called Lindbergh's, and met her there and uh she is uh one of the first if not the first female djs in that area she was on the country music radio station ktts there in in springfield and i met her and she uh would have us out to the station to play music and uh, kept in touch over the years and finally got together and lived together in Wimberley for many years and moved back to her hometown of Springfield, Missouri, and I'm happy to be there. And so I dedicated this to her. The inspiration for this tune is a tune that I wrote is I played a festival a couple of years ago in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area. And there was a trio there called the Toon Junkies. And they were a trio of guys that played just tunes they wanted to play. And if you didn't want to listen to them, well, then you had to wait for the next group, I guess. But they just got together and played tunes. And among them, they played some fiddle tunes that I had never heard before. And I thought they were just really pleasant and uh distinctive in their own way. So I wrote a tune that I hoped a group like the Tune Junkies might play. Uh, and I call it Miss Kitty's Hornpipe. And again, it's just, uh, and this one, I think it's the first one that is just mandolin and banjo only. And the mandolin player, fantastic player by the name of Emery Lester. Oh, yeah. And, Emery is from Virginia here, but he lives up in Canada now. And uh, uh, I'd meet him at, uh, I teach at a lot of music camps, as he does on the mandolin, and we'd get together and play. And I just loved, loved, loved playing with Emery. So uh, I wrote this tune and uh, wanted to get Emery involved. So this is the one he played on, and he does a, miraculous job he sure does he's really really cool with this so
Miss Kitty's Hornpipe from Alan Mundy's new album Excelsior out on Patuxent. And that was Emery Lester playing mandolin with Alan there. We're going track by track through this album with Alan. Or this album with Alan, I should say. Try saying that three times fast. And <laughs> we're coming up to him for Slim. But before we get there, Alan... You know, we talked about, you know, your time with Jimmy and, of course, starting in Oklahoma. But for 20 years, you did have that great group that you played with. And I just want to touch on that for our listeners, because obviously that was a big part of your life. It definitely was. Uh, Country Gazette is the group. And uh, it all... My connection ultimately is through a fiddle player named Byron Berline. Oh, yeah. And Byron and I went to college together. He was at the University of Oklahoma while I was there. And we met up and played music a lot together and hung out. Byron went to a lot of fiddle contests, and I'd go with him and back him up on the guitar. And we traveled and did a lot of stuff. And then he went on and was with Bill Monroe, and then he was in the Army, and then he got out and was in California and played with Doug Dillard and, and Gene Clark in what's called the, the Dillard and Clark Expedition. And so he's in California. I am wind up in Nashville. I'm playing with Jimmy Martin. I want to, I'm leaving Jimmy, so I write, and this you have to remember is back in the day before internet and cell phones and all that. So uh, I probably called him on the phone, or I may have even written a letter that said, I'm leaving Jimmy. If there's anything going on in California, I'd love to come out there. And he got in touch with me, and he said Roger Bush and he and Kenny Wirtz at that time were putting together a group called Country Gazette. They had some interest from United Artists Records. They need a banjo player. They would have liked to have heard Peter, Herb Peterson in the band, but Herb had just left the Dillards and didn't want to, uh, or wanted to try a solo career. So he wasn't interested in being in a band again. And, but would I be interested in trying to be the banjo player? And I said, man, I'll be there. So in 72, when I, I left Jimmy in October of 71, January of 72, uh, we're together as Country Gazette and uh, record with United Artists Records and just goes on and on. And like a lot of bands, people come and go and Byron left, Roger left, Roland White came in the band, uh, Joe Carr, Mike Anderson, you know, and others on down the line for 20 years or more. And finally, it just sort of uh, the handwriting, the people have spoken and didn't think there need was a need for a country gazette group anymore so uh quit doing that and uh did other things so yeah country gazette was a important part of my life for a long time and still to a certain extent is well for those joining us we do have Alan Mundy with us as we go track by track through his new album Excelsior out now on Patuxent and we are coming up to the fifth track Him for Slim. Yeah. Now, Slim uh, 
this goes back to Norman, Oklahoma. When I said I wanted to learn to play the guitar, I looked in the yellow pages for uh, the closest guitar or music store that I could look at guitars. And the closest one was this one called Mike Ritchie's Guitar Center. And uh, walked in there and eventually bought a guitar, bought my first banjo there. And Mike, who later re uh, organized himself as Slim Ritchie, uh, he and I became lifelong friends till his death here a few years ago. We were big buddies and hung out and played music together and did a lot, a lot of things together. And so this was my sort of musical tribute to him. And it's a solo banjo piece. It's, uh, is what it is. Uh, and, uh, I, I wrote it. I can't tell you how I did it, uh, exactly, but it's there. And this is the result of my, uh, knowing Slim Ritchie. Thank you. 
Him for Slim, a tune that Alan Mundy wrote for his friend, Mike Ritchie. And you can find that on Alan's new album, Excelsior, out on Patuxent. Well, Alan, you talk about being from Norman, Oklahoma, and I guess I have to ask, were you a fan of the Sooners growing up or still? Oh, my gosh. Sure am. Uh, I grew up, my home was a mile from the university and the stadium. So every Saturday I could hear the roar of the crowd. And uh, back in those days, I don't know if it's still true or not, but uh, the ticket takers would leave, you know, sometime after halftime, maybe uh, sometime during the fourth quarter or something. And all the kids would hang around. And as soon as the ticket takers left, we'd, we'd go in, <laughs> you know, and watch the end of the game. Uh, and so I'm a big OU Sooner fan. Sure am. You ready for them to join the SEC? <laughs> oh, you know, I think they've made a mistake, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best to okay. hang out with them. Well, all I can say is go Tigers. Yeah. <laughs> you can guess what team I'm rooting for. <laughs> uh, is that the Clemson? No, that would be LSU. Oh, LSU, of course. Yeah, that's all oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, is Clemson the Tigers, but they're not in the SEC. They're in the ACC. That's correct. I should have known that. Yeah, That's all right. LSU We're talking Tigers. here about banjo and Alan Mundy, not about college football. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. So, no worries. <laughs> yeah. In fact, a number of my listeners are saying, enough college football. Get back to Alan Mundy, for goodness sake. Right. <laughs> well, we are. We talked about Byron, and we're coming up to Byron's buddies. Right, right. And this is for Byron. And Byron died uh, two or three years ago. Uh, a great loss to not only the music bluegrass world, but uh, to anybody that likes music. Byron was a great, great guy. Loved playing music with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And uh, he made everybody he played with sound better. He sure did me. And uh, he was a real powerhouse fiddle player. And uh, when I knew him in college, and not to get on this, but Byron was actually recruited at the University of Oklahoma to play football yeah. under the legendary coach Bud Wilkinson. Uh, but he broke his thumb of his bow hand, his right hand, and he made the decision that he should not play football anymore. So he switched to track. But uh, he and I played together in college. We were in a group together, Country Gazette. He was instrumental in all that happening. Uh, and we played together every time we saw each other, we'd play together. And so, and I went to a lot of fiddle contests with him. So I wrote this tune that's somewhat of a Texas-style fiddle tune uh, and got Sam Bush to play on it. Again, it's just a banjo and mandolin. And Sam, I've known, I met Sam when he was 16, and I was probably 21, 22. Didn't Byron's dad have a hand in that? You meeting Sam? Oh, Are definitely, you? definitely, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I went to... Uh, I had met Wayne Stewart, the guitar player on this Poor Richard's Almanac uh, record that Sam and Wayne and I did, and he knew Sam Bush. And 
I mentioned to Wayne, who lived in Kentucky, that I was going to a fiddle contest near Independence, Missouri, which is Kansas City area. And he said Wayne, Wayne and Sam would be there. So that's where I met uh, Sam Bush and uh, got together with him, played music and whatnot. But who I went to the fiddle contest with was Lou, Byr Lou Berline, Byron's dad, and his brother and Byron's brother, Leonard Berline. We all loaded up and went to that fiddle contest, and that's where I met Sam Bush. And we played music, and for me, it was a thrilling, thrilling time. And got together after I got out of college the next year and recorded an album called Poor Richard's Almanac. Uh, and it's one rest, of those seminal albums that a lot of folks talk about. Well, I'm glad they do. You know, it's a funny, we recorded it at Wayne Stewart's mother's house. They had a house out back of the big house that was a, originally had been maybe a, the maid's quarters or something. And we recorded it there on just a really, at the time, not even a high level recording thing. And it sounds uh, the fidelity of it is not really great, but the music making on it is real good. And it's Sam's first appearance uh, and mine also, as and Wayne, uh, playing music. And we played it together, and I'm glad people found it interesting. And uh, it's still mentioned from time to time. So anyway, back to Byron. I got Sam because Sam knew Byron and was influenced by that album that Byron did with the Dillards called Pickin' and Fiddlin' as I was. And so I wrote this sort of fiddle tune-ish uh, Texas contest fiddle tune kind of thing uh, for Byron. And uh, Sam did jumped right in and knew exactly how to play it and exactly how to make it sound good. And you recorded this at Stephen Mosion's studio? Well, here's an interesting thing I'd like to point out. And, you know, the way the world is nowadays, you don't all have to be together, you know, to record. Right. And there are 15 cuts on this, and only three of them was the whole group together to, to record it all at once. So all the others, every one of them, is me done by me sitting by myself playing both the head or the solo part and the accompaniment part to a click track. And uh, I'm going to say uh, sometimes that's, uh, you know, to do recordings like this where you ship the tracks off and somebody has to match what you're doing, you know, play along with you. The click track is vital, you know, because it has to, you have to have something to relate to. Uh, where when you play live, you don't need a click track or possibly you just play together and it's done. But all these players that did play it along that I would record all by myself and send it out to them, every one of them were fabulous musicians and listened very closely to what was going on and managed, I think, in a very, very a good way to play very musical with me, even though mine was 
set in stone, so to speak. Uh, so it's a quite an accomplishment for all these other players, I think, to have done that. And so Sam's part was recorded at Steve Mojan's studio. My part was recorded at the Mandolin Cave, which is Billy Bright's studio set up in Wimberley. Okay. So, you know, as you listen to these, I hope it's not apparent that, you know, we're not in the same room. There's some of them that are, but this one isn't. So, but Sam plays and, you know, they're all such musicians that they listen, listen really wonderfully well and take all the cues. And I'd like to say that I hope that I played in a way that was musical and wasn't hard for them to get in with. So uh, it's sort of the modern miracle in recording nowadays. It's definitely changed, but that's where we are. Uh, it's, yep, it sure is.
Byron's Bodies, written by Alan Mundy, and joining him on mandolin for that was Sam Bush. We're going track by track through Alan's new album, Excelsior, out on Patuxent. And Alan, you, I do want to touch upon, you spent quite a number of years teaching, didn't you? I sure did. I taught at in what was originally called the Country and Bluegrass Music Program at South Plains College, which is located in Leveland, Texas, which is near Lubbock. So it's out in West Texas. Uh, the program now is called Creative uh, Arts. And uh, the music program is called Commercial Music rather than Country and Bluegrass. And I taught there for 20 years, starting in 1986. So, yeah, I spent a lot, a lot of time out there. I had a very good time. Had lots and lots of really wonderful students who have gone on to do uh, fine things in music and a career in music. And I'm proud of each and every one of them. Well, I'm curious for someone who taught so long, who's who can certainly drive that banjo, but is known for his beautiful melodic style, did did you get many students coming in who just really hadn't been aware of the melodic style as much? Well, I think most by 1986, I think most uh, banjo players had a sense of uh, you know the uh, that approach. They might not be able to do it and reproduce it, but they were aware of it and heard. You know, Bill Keith had been around. Yeah. since the mid-60s, and so this is 20 years after that. So they were aware of that, and a lot of them, Bela Fleck was certainly a big motivating factor for them to play, and uh, so it it varied, you know, just as it does out in the real world. It, you had students that came in that uh, all they knew was just sort of the traditional bluegrass, and you had others that came in that were well aware of Bela Fleck and wanted to play his music. And uh, so we had a wide variety. But it sure. might've been their first time sitting down with someone who could really show them. Well, I think so. I think that's the uh, attraction of a program like that is, you know, when I was <coughs> learning to play, it was months between me finding somebody. And even at that, I'd have to travel some distance and I didn't have a car uh, when I was, you know, really in the younger days. Uh, so I had to finagle a ride somehow. So it was hard to get together with anybody that could actually set and show you and could actually do, you know, what you were wanting to do. And uh, so having a school where you could go and actually every day, you know, you were around people that knew how to do it, and you didn't have to go sit in some bar or drive for me, like get a ride to Oklahoma City or or to Dallas or somewhere uh, to be around people that knew how to do it. And uh, so that was a great, great advantage, and I liked that idea of the school. And I know there are now, back then when I started, I, I'm going to say South Plains College was if not the first, one of the very earliest ones that offered a program. And now I know 
There are many other schools that offer some uh, information in that. I know East Tennessee State and uh, Berea, Kentucky also has uh, a program, and uh, I'm sure there are others uh, that do that. I think Moorhead State, maybe in Kentucky, had a program, and uh, there may be some schools in Virginia that offer it. I'm not real familiar with it all. But anyway, it's a real, you know, sort of safe environment that the focus is on learning the skills it takes to perform the music you want to play. So in that sense, it's a really great, great thing. And uh, I remember uh, there's a video out of uh, sort of a documentary about bluegrass music. And in there, Mac Wiseman is talking about asking his parents for a guitar, which they finally got him one. He said, but it took him a year to find somebody that knew how to tune it properly. Yeah. So, and nowadays, you know, so schools offer, you know, way more than how to tune your guitar, but, you know, they're full of, full of information uh, and being around people that uh, can do it and can watch you do it and offer advice on how to do it better. So uh, they have a, a great advantage. I love those programs. Well, those just tuning in, that's Alan Mundy we're chatting with, and we are going track by track through his new album, Excelsior. And we're coming up to Holler Up a Possum. Right. Now, this is a tune that I did not write. And uh, my very, very good friend, uh, Elliot Rogers, wrote this. And I just found on the guitar, uh, and I found it really attractive and thought it would make an interesting so I learned it and do it. And on the recording, uh, there is a guitar, and it is Elliot Rogers, uh, who's a fine songwriter and tunesmith in general. But he wrote this, and I just find, found it real interesting and fun to play. And it features, as I say, Elliot playing guitar. And again, uh, Billy Bright is the mandolinist on this uh, particular cut. So, and... It's called Holler Up a Possum. You'll have to ask Elliot why he's, he named it that. I don't know. Thank you. 
Call up a possum. One of the tunes Alan Mundy did not write on his new album Excelsior. That one written by Elliot Rogers, who also played guitar on it. We're going track by track through Alan's new album with Alan, of course. And we're coming up to Stay With Me Waltz. Right. Uh, this is a, uh, I should go back and mention that. Holler Up a Possum and this Stay With Me Waltz and one other uh, we'll get to later called Five Fall Down were the three that were recorded with in the studio with the, all the players there. So just a point of reference. But this Stay With Me Waltz is a one that I wrote that uh, can, sort of features a full-throated what I like to call the bright Monday tone sound, <laughs> somewhat uh, facetiously, but it's the sound of the banjo and mandolin uh, and bass without a guitar. Again, you know, just that approach. And on this one, there are three mandolin players, Kim Warner again, uh, Billy Bright, and then also a really, really great mandolin player who uh, lived in the Austin area named Paul Glass. And Paul uh, is sort of main claim to fame is that uh, he plays electric mandolin, sort of in the style where maybe uh, uh, later on Don Stiernberg is a mandolin player on here, was influenced by Jethro Burns. Paul was influenced by Tiny Moore, mm. who is the electric mandolin player in the Bob Wills mm. sort of hot swing era of his band. And so Paul plays electric mandolin on here. And not only does he play electric mandolin, but uh, on the tune, he doubles the melody so in unison. So he plays with me in unison on the electric mandolin. And it, to me, it makes a sound that is a bit different. And uh, as the other two acoustic mandolin sort of tremolo behind or add accompaniment in another f sort of style of mandolin playing, the tremolo. So there's three mandolins, two of them acoustic and uh, one electric. And the, the electric mandolin, Paul, also takes a little solo on here so it's just a and it's kind of an ar heavily arranged i shouldn't say heavily arranged but it is arranged uh noticeably on here there's uh it's interesting i think i don't know what else to say about it, it and just is, did i hear some mandola in there as well you did you did again uh, billy uh, i should have mentioned that billy uh sort of overdubbed uh, some mandola in there, which is sort of the viola equivalent of a mandolin, I think. So it's a, sort of a mid-range mandolin where the mandolin itself is sort of the high, the violin end, and then the mandola is the viola range, and then they have a cello mandolin that is, I guess, the range of a cello, I suppose. So, and just to round things out, we've got Dom Fisher again on bass. Yes, yeah, Dom is important in all of these for sure. Great, great musician. 
Stay With Me Waltz, one of the three tracks on the album where the musicians were all in studio together. And that's on Alan Mundy's new album, Excelsior, out on Patuxent. And we're going track by track through the full album with Alan. And we're coming up to the ninth track, Bo Nose. Right. This is a, a tune, again, that I wrote. Uh, and it's sort of, I'm going to call it sort of a squirrely tune, uh, so much so that uh, I recorded it with Jeremy Chapman and uh, on the mandolin. And Jeremy asked me what the chords were. And I said, well, I don't know. I said, they are whatever you're going to play. <laughs> so uh, he sort of invented his own chords, although I did have, there's a three parts to this tune, and I did have the chords kind of to the second part, but the first part and the third part were just sort of out there hanging, and uh, he did whatever you hear him do. And I should mention Jeremy, is a, as all these mandolin players are, just top-notch mandolin player, and he is part of the uh, family group called the Chapman family that toured for several years, and he and his, with his brothers, uh, John and Jason, and their father, Bill, and uh, they're a great, great, great band. They're all excellent musicians, and they, as a family, own the music store in Springfield, Missouri, called the Acoustic Shop. And I go down there and visit them quite often. I walk a lot or try to and uh, go by their store and visit. And Jeremy uh, agreed to play on this with me. And again, it's just mandolin and banjo. And it's what he came up with is really interesting. And if you listen to the, I would listen to this tune with headphones on and just to hear the convergence and the divergence as the mandolin sort of weaves in and out of what the banjo is doing. And it's just really sort of dark and mysterious to me. I find it totally attractive. And the bow of bow nose is, uh, on an earlier cut, there was a guitar player named Bo Brown. And Bo is a local Springfield musician that has been there for many, many years and played in lots and lots of different bands. But he's got a couple of books out, and he's a world-renowned forager. And he's got one on foraging, a book on foraging the Ozarks and foraging the gra tall grass prairie or some such as that. And uh, I took my grandkids out with him one time, and he would point to plants and uh, bark of tree and just all these things that were edible. And sometime later, I was out with my grandkids, and we had a question about a bird. I'll say, you know, what kind of bird is that? And uh, one of the grandkids said, well, Bo knows, <laughs> which is true, because Bo knows all the stuff out in nature. He can identify it all and tell you what to put in your mouth and what not to. And uh, so just as a tribute to Bo, I, I wrote this called Bo Knows. And uh, as I say, Jeremy Chapman does a really f uh, wonderful job to make more music out of it than I thought was there. So.
the ninth track on the new album from alan mundy excelsior titled bow nose and as we were listening to that alan and i'm reminded and of course you talked about how most of these tracks were recorded away from you albums more and more these days are being laid down that it's not easy to tour behind so i'm curious have you been able to get out and do any of these tunes with a mandolin player trying to fill things in or uh not yet no uh but i've uh done some things with emory lester and we've done some of the tunes from the record and uh you know i can play some of these as a solo presentation but uh bill evans and i as you know are putting a little trip together uh up and down the east coast here and we're doing quite a few of these from that but with two banjos rather than uh you know the mandolin which is a yet another aspect that uh is available that uh, i could have done on several of these tunes there is one tune that uh, blue hole stroll i played a twin banjo part on it uh, and then also on one coming up and i'll mention it as we get to it i played twin banjo so uh it sort of invites that presentation of two banjos so uh, i do it as much as i can i sure do well, earlier we were talking about Jimmy Martin and how he liked things to sound the same. Are you a musician who likes to get out there and let the spirit flow? Or do you try with certain tracks, like on this album, to stick to what you've written? Well, uh, I'm pretty conservative. So I found, for me, person, you know, just my personality, uh, when he said that, it, it kind of struck accord with me so to speak uh so a lot of these i'll play the way they appear on the recording here because in a for me there this album is a composition you know they're compositional pieces uh so i compose them and sort of like uh, monroe in a way that a tune goes the way that it goes you know and if you play it differently, then it's not that tune anymore. So, and I'm, I understand uh, some tunes lend themselves to improvisation and others don't. So, but for me, if I were to go play these, and as I'm doing with Bill, most of them I'm playing the way I played them on the recording. And if you want to find out more about where Alan and Bill are playing out. You can check out Alan's website. And again, that is mondaymusic.com. And he's got a full calendar up there of where the two of them are out playing. And I'll just plug again that I'll be chatting with both Alan and Bill soon. So do a search for WTJU and Alan and Bill, and that'll come up very soon. Because we'll have that out there for folks to enjoy probably in the next 24 hours and that'll live on but right now we're going track by track through alan's album excelsior and we're coming up to five fall down 
Right. This is another, the other tune that uh, I did not write. This is, again, is Elliot Rogers' uh, composition, and he wrote it as a song, so it has words that he never quite finished, but I liked the tune and the way things sort of were laid out, and so I did it as an instrumental, but it's retained its title if it ever had words, I guess, and the story to it is Five Fall Down. And again, you'd have to ask Elliot what that means. Uh, but anyway, it's this is a more of a bluegrass presentation, just of a tune, you know, has a guitar and a basic Dom Fisher again and, and uh, Billy Bright on mandolin. But we had a fiddle player locally down there in... Uh, Wimberley, Texas, or the Austin area, named Eric Hokanen. And Eric has been in the area for many, many years and plays really wonderful guitar and fiddle and a great sense of the joy of music making. And so we got Eric to play on uh, this particular cut. And it has an A and a B part, but this, it's got a C part that the whole ensemble plays on every time it comes around. Uh, whole ensemble place. So it's sort of a, uh, you know, you have some picking and picking, and then you have this joyous romp of all the instruments playing. So it's a, I really like it. And it's a, maybe the most uh, bluegrass presentation on the recording.
from Alan Mundy's new album, Excelsior, out on Patuxent. That was Five Fall Down, title and tune, without the lyrics, from Elliot Rogers. And we're going track by track through Alan's new album, and we're coming up to Birthday Waltz. And this one you didn't have to send out to get recorded by anybody else. No, no, I just, it's a solo piece all, all by myself sitting there. Uh, doing it and it's a tune i wrote actually many years ago uh and it's i just want to say it's for anybody out there that has a birthday it's sort of a a slow uh, uh somewhat melancholy i suppose uh waltz but uh i like it a lot and enjoy playing it and for banjo players just to mention uh i do this later in a different way, but I play the first A section, all the sections are played just with a down stroke of with a thumb and it's a chordal, chordal melody. And so it's played just with a down stroke of the thumb. And it sort of gives a little different quality sound to the banjo that uh, uh, makes it more poignant, I'll say. Uh, and I hope they like it. It's uh, I like listening to it for sure. Thank you. 
Alan Mundy's new album, Excelsior, that was Birthday Waltz, and that was Alan playing on his own. And Alan, as I was listening to that and others, you know, I've just been wondering when you go back and listen to your early recordings, or maybe you don't. Some folks don't like to listen to the earlier stuff when once it's out there. What's the biggest difference for you in your style from those late 60s, early 70s up to now? Well, you know, that's hard for me to say. I hope uh, to say it's a little more focused. I think early on, I was a little scattered, possibly, you know, and, uh, you know, in the movies they have, if you watch the credits, uh, and I don't know if they use this word anymore, but there used to be a person who was in charge of continuity, you know, and it was uh, somebody that made sure that when they filmed something and then they had to go back and do the same scene over, that everything was where it's supposed to be. And they have, you know, famous clips of some scene of an actress. And as it goes from shot to shot, she has a barrette in her hair that moves from the right side to the left side yeah. and back and forth. And that's sort of the sense of trying to get the continuity together. So I think my sense of continuity when I play is a little more refined or it makes more sense to me uh, rather than having a certain kind of musical thing and then all then something that just seems a bit uh, outside of it or to me it doesn't flow one thing doesn't flow uh, sensibly to the next so I think I've developed a little more sense of uh, in my mind of continuity uh, and uh, so that has changed and i'm you know when i played with jimmy uh, when you played with him i always described it as it's like shouting at the top of your lungs all the time so you played with this for me this over the top force be you know you just did and that's the way it was done uh, back then, because uh, you think back and I think I came along right at a certain time, a transition. Uh, and one of the transitions was in uh, sound reinforcement at festivals. And so a lot of the events, events we would play, we would have one or two microphones and that would be that. And so if I were playing, if Jimmy was in the microphone, the hot one, and if you wanted to play in the background and be heard there, uh, he would direct me to point the banjo at his microphone. But you have to play hard, and I'm to say I'll say loud. You have to play loud, and for me that translated into playing hard, which was part of my immaturity. I could probably, if I had a better sense of how to get the tone, you can get a loud tone without necessarily playing really hard, but maybe I couldn't do it at that time. But uh, so I think I've softened up a good bit since then, and maybe I get a little more tone or volume through tone. So I think that's changed. And certainly my ideas, I think, have matured uh, 
somewhat over the years, and but I'm still basically, you know, very similar to how I was, you know, like in the early Country Gazette days. Well, that brings me to the follow-up, which leads into this next tune. Some musicians write tunes early on in their lives, which were placeholders, and they just don't ever go back to them. But this next one, Ten Cent Breakfast, is is that the first tune you ever wrote? I think I'm identifying it as that. I think it is uh, truly that. And uh, early on, for me, sitting in Norman, Oklahoma, my contact with music, a lot of it, was the Saturday country music shows that played all afternoon. You know, starting with uh, the local shows, we had a Jude and Jody and the uh, 301 Ranch Hands, whatever they were called. And then, you know, uh, they'd have the Buck Owens show and maybe the Ernest Tubb show and then another local a lucky word in his Western airs or something, you know, on TV. And uh, so I would sit there with my banjo and watch those shows and try to pick up, watch the guitar players, try to pick up a thing or two, just listen to the music. And a lot of the music was the steel guitar. And then also at the same time, the Osborne brothers were doing uh, music that Sonny Osborne would play licks or things that, to me, resembled the steel guitar. So I thought, well, that's a source of, uh, you know, ideas. So I would listen to the steel guitar. And so this tune is my idea, my 16 or 17-year-old guy sitting in front of the Saturday country music shows of what a steel guitar tune might sound like. And so I wrote this tune, and it just, you know, it never seemed like it was going to go anywhere. Uh, and I just had it and knew it and could recreate it these years later. So I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And since I had access to Lloyd Maines, I would try him And uh, on this particular recording. And Billy Bright uh, made note of me that the accordion was my first instrument. So he thought it'd be kind of, since this is your first tune, uh, to have your first instrument on there. So he knew uh, Josh Baca, mm -hmm. who is a, I'm going to let you say the name of the group he plays with. He's part of the Grammy-winning Los Tex Maniacs. Los Tex Maniacs. So he's sort of a young, hip uh, uh I'll use the word Hispanic. I don't know how you... He's Mexican-American. Mexican-American uh, accordion player that is, you know, beyond sort of the tradition of, I guess, what he came out of. He maybe is, uh, I want the Bela Fleck of the accordion world down there. I don't know. But just that sense, you know, that he's progressed beyond the, tr the traditional Tex-Mex music. And Billy thought it would be he could play on my recording of this. So he did, and it turned out really well. I should mention for those who may not know of Josh, we just lost Tex Maniacs. Lost Tex Maniacs often these days are backing Peter Rowan with his flying mm. Mexican army. Ah, well, there you go. That's how hip they are. <laughs> 
Well, let's give a listen to the 10 Cent Breakfast, Alan Mundy's very first tune written back when he was 16. We just got done listening to the 10 Cent Breakfast from Alan Mundy's new album, Excelsior, out on Patuxent. And you can find that over on Patuxent's website. And I suspect if you're lucky enough to catch Alan out there touring, he might have some copies with him available at the merch table. I'm, I'm sure I will.
Well, Alan, earlier you were talking about your grandkids with Bono's, and I think we've got a tune coming up. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, uh, sort of a fun little tune, and I think of it as uh, it contains all my banjo tricks. Uh, and if you're ever around me, you can ask me about them, uh, and I'll tell you what I think they are. But So I wrote this tune, and... Uh, Sort of the playful nature of it, I thought, well, I'd like to do one in, for my grandkids. And early on, their name, this tune is called Rodrigo and Johnson. That's not their name. But uh, early on when they were both uh, toddlers and had little toy lawnmowers, uh, they sort of had an imaginary uh, landscaping business, and which they called... And I don't know where they came up with the name necessarily, but they called it Rodrigo and Johnson. And I thought that was pretty funny. And uh, so I named this sort of, to me, a humorous tune. Uh, uh, I named it after them. And also I'll mention a little bit about the composition. And it's hard to describe uh, what it is. But basically the theme of it is that I'll just say the notes. You play a D, we're in the key of G, you play a D, then you play chromatically down from E flat, E, E flat, D, to C sharp. And then you play chromatically down E, uh, E flat, D, or yeah, E flat, D, C sharp, to C natural and then ultimately down to a B. And that's the whole melody. You know, it's just this idea of this chromatic uh, melody. But it's all disguised by these chords. And each variation I play uh, has some little theme of that descendingness from just an E chromatically down to a B uh, about it. So it's kind of... Uh, humorous in, in in a sense. It's like a musical uh, trick, I'll say. But anyway, I, I thought it turned out real well, and I like it. And uh, the mandolin player on this, again, it's just mandolin and banjo, <clears throat> is a area player down there named Ron Pennington. And Ron uh, has actually toured out in the world with groups uh, from time to time, but mostly has stayed in the Arkansas, northern Arkansas area, and plays in a really, really spectacular group down there called Lonesome Road. I admire them greatly. They have a banjo player named Robbie Boone, who is a wonderful, wonderful player, and a great singer, Shelley Smith, <coughs> uh, great guitar player, David Maravilla. I love them. But Ron plays in that group, and he joins me here in this, Rodrigo and Johnson.
the 13th track from Alan Mundy's new album Excelsior out on Patuxent. And that was Rodrigo and Johnson. And we're coming up to the penultimate track, Rabbits in a Watermelon Patch. Hey, I know what that word means. Hey. Penultimate. It's, it's before the last. <laughs> Next one. Can I tell you a funny th quote I heard that used that word? In bluegrass music, if we were in the key of G, the dominant chord in the key of G is D. And uh, in every key, uh, many times before you play the final chord, you play that dominant chord, the five chord. And I read a description of the dominant chord was the most popular penultimate chord. <laughs> and I thought, wow, well, yeah, it is. I mean, it absolutely is. But anyway, <laughs> back to the rabbits in a watermelon patch. And this is kind of a, a funny little tune I wrote that as I would play it and sort of developed it, I developed this sort of image of a rabbit waking up in the morning and yawning and looking out on the day and deciding to go see if there were some watermelons busted open out in the watermelon patch. And he heads out there and he meets other rabbits and they interact and you can, it's sort of like Peter and the Wolf to a certain extent, in that you could have the banjo rabbit, if you think of it this way. There's a mandolin rabbit. There's a bass rabbit. There's a fiddle rabbit. Uh, and there's actually two banjos, so there's yet another banjo rabbit. And they sort of interact and then drop out and come back together. And at some point they have, uh, there's a minor part a minor key part that uh, is like a tussle. I think of them rabbits sort of tussling, maybe over a watermelon or something. But then they come together harmoniously and finish out. And then you hear the little one little rabbit sort of scamper off into the distance. And so that was uh, after I wrote the piece and sort of developed that sense of rabbits coming and going and coming in and out. It influenced the introduction and then how the tune was mixed. And I mentioned this to Billy who produced the record. And so you'll hear instruments come in and then drop out and then come back in and then join together in a big ensemble and then split up. And, you know, so it's hopefully a uh, somewhat describes visual things to the audience. I hope they get that out of it. But it's a real uh, sweet piece. It's the longest one on the the project, I'll say. Uh, but uh, anyway, I hope they like it and don't get uh, impatient with it. And joining you on this is Steve Smith on mandolin. All right. I'm glad you said that. I should say a few words. Steve Smith is a great uh, mandolin player in New Mexico now, but he's from Virginia originally. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's part of Cloud Valley. Right, part of Cloud Valley with Bill Evans. Yeah. Uh, really a fabulous group in their day. And he moved to New Mexico many years and has made uh, a miraculous career in music out there, traveling around and plays a lot with a group, his own group called Hard, the Hard Road Trio, and as a duo with Tim May from time to time, and just as a ace musician of the very best. And it also features uh, the other cut that has the guitar, uh, McSpadden, Randy McSpadden, who's a great Western, and I mean geographically Western guitar player, uh, out in that area, and the bass player is fabulous on here, but it also features uh, Dennis Ludiker on fiddle, and Dennis did a really great job on this, so they all did, every one of them did, and uh, kudos to Billy Bright for helping organize this sort of uh, uh, rabbit extravaganza. And that bass player, just for folks' knowledge, is Bruno Avidia. Right. And I'll say, you know, this is a happenstance of the modern world, but I've never met the gentleman. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, Steve Smith, this was, the banjo part was recorded in Steve Smith's studio in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And then I left and Steve put his mandolin part on, put Randy's part on the guitar and put Bruno's part on the bass. And then the fiddle part <clears throat> was added at the studio there in in Dripping Springs, and then it was all mixed at, at Dripping Springs. And once again, a testament to the musicianship of all the players that they played in such a way that they could be done, you know, that what happened to the tracks worked, you know, as they came in and dropped out. So that's sort of the behind the curtain kind of stuff. So when you listen to it, just listen to the music and how it flows and changes as it goes along. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. 
the second to last, or as we discussed earlier, penultimate track right, on right. Excelsior from Alan Mundy's new album, Out on Patuxent. And as we just heard that, that means we're coming up to the final track, titled Untitled Waltz. Right. <clears throat> this is a tune. I lived in L.A. 70, in the early 70s when I was with Country Gazette and Byron Berline and Roger Bush and Kenny Wirtz were out there and and just sitting around, you know, and I had an apartment and I lived with a, a Welshman named Martin Smith, M-E-R-T-Y-N, Martin Smith. And Martin was a really, really great guy. He was in the music business on the management side and worked with uh, Eddie Tickner, who managed Demi Lou Harris and Graham Parsons and Country Gazette and the Dillards at one time and the Birds early on. But Martin was a great roommate. And I wrote this just sitting around with time on my hands and uh, had it, you know, all these years and never had a occasion to record it. It's, it is what it is. And again, I just use one mandolin and it's Don Stierenberg, and then the bass, Dom Fisher. And it's a really, uh, and I put it last because it's sort of the feeling I wanted people to leave the music with. And I truly think uh, sitting down and listening to this as it's programmed is the best way to listen to this. And I wanted that one to be the last one. And I know a lot of, you know, programming a CD nowadays is sort of a lo lost cause to a certain extent in that so many tunes get, you know, loaded up uh, among your favorites and they play one from one CD and one from another. And you sort of lose this, in a way, the sense of what the artist is maybe about. Uh, you know, that most artists are more than one tune, you know, or most, banjo players are more than just one presentation of their playing, you know, so having this, listening it all the way through, I wanted this to be the last thing they listen to. And uh, it's very sparse. It starts with just man uh, with banjo and, and bass, and it's joined by the mandolin in a very, very soft, uh, delicate way. And then as the mandolin takes his solo, the banjo, uh, drops out and so it's just mandolin and bass for a little while and you get to hear and you know these instruments now in a little different context and you get to hear maybe more in depth the music that's going on because there isn't all this uh, other stuff to pull your attention away and so it makes it to me sort of interesting and maybe cerebral is the word I'm looking for uh, thing, but I really like it. I love the melody of it. Uh, I like everything about it. I like the way the chords flow and uh, everything. And Don is such a beautiful, beautiful player. Uh, I was really proud to be have him involved in this. So that's the last word on this CD for sure. Well, then let's uh, say our farewell and let the notes of Untitled Waltz be the last part of our track by track. 
Thank you so much. Uh, thank for you. For taking time, Alan. Yeah. Thank you.